AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. And we're back on Dealing Together, where we help good people who fell for bad deals. First caller? I had to buy three identical sweaters to get the fourth free. Ooh, you got fleeced. Next caller, what's your deal? I paid for 20 tanning sessions, but had to use them in a month. Now I'm orange. Ooh, you got burned. Next caller. I traded in my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24+. Plus. Hmm, how's that bad? I got to choose from their best plans. So what went wrong? Oh, nothing went wrong. And you're calling to... To request a song? You want a song? Of course. The choice is yours. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 Plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey everybody, welcome to Movie Crush, filmmaker series, we're starting a new one. You all remember uh, Scotty from, uh, well, the Oscar special? You can you can open a can in yeah, front of the mic, in fact, right do it the right in front of the mic. They want to hurt Ramsey's ears. Be an ASMR video, now tilt that microphone up towards your uh, beautiful little mouth. To my mouth? To your pretty mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, this one's off to a bad start already. <laughs> so, Scotty, you remember from the Oscars episode he did with Emily and I, and you also remember him as a reg guest for uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which was your pick for favorite film for that day. Uh, but <laughs> Truly, it's Jaws, but Jesse Dorn from Bullseye, I believe. No, no, still... no. Jesse, uh, it was Roman Mars. Oh, Roman Mars, that's right. Yeah, okay. Jesse hadn't been on yet. but I have Sorry, two, Jesse. He has two movies sort of earmarked for him. Babe, Pig in the City. And uh, what's Jesse's other movie that he loves? The the something clown, uh, a thousand clowns. You know that movie? I don't, but it sounds way better than just five hundred clowns. <laughs> Twice as good. <laughs> this is good. I was just about to uh, call you one of the great cinephiles. 
And you don't know a thousand clowns. I don't know a thousand clowns. <laughs> That's embarrassing. Uh, but if you haven't heard Scotty before, he is uh, one of my oldest friends. He works in the film industry. He is a uh, cinematographer, a DP. What do you go by these days? What other words are there for that? Yeah, so I that's think, it. I think just DP. DP. I, mean, I don't know. Some Ca- occasional camera operator on some jobs, but yeah, people argue is it a DP or cinematographer, and everybody has reasons why. If you call yourself one or the other, you're being uppity. Like cinematographer, right. like you're not a DP. And DP, sorry, <laughs> you're not a cinematographer. Now it's digital. Like you're not even taking <laughs> photographs any longer. <laughs> you're just a monkey with a record button. <laughs> uh, so that's Scotty's history. And we are going to do, everyone, a uh, – we kind of went back and forth over the past, like, couple of months about what to do, what to do with Scotty. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, think, I think originally it was, uh, you know, if, if I was going to do a filmmaker series, it was hard not, for, not to be the Coens. Yeah. We were going to do the Coen brothers straight up. And then I don't, I don't know if – I think it might have been your idea to just maybe make, make it more thematic than filmmaker-specific – and we landed on film noir. Always been a sucker for the film noir. Ah, dude, you wrote a film noir movie, didn't you? Or at least a, a murder mystery? <laughs> yes, I've written a lot of bad movies, Chuck. Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> Never read one of them. <laughs> They're all terrible. That's why. Oh, what happened in that last one? Not Can good. I read that one? Not good. Can I? <laughs> <laughs> Guys, Scotty's such a good writer, but he suffers from uh, no one shall ever gaze eyes upon my work syndrome, <laughs> which is really just bullshit. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I've been giving you shit about it for 20 years. The, the the girlfriend says the same thing. Yeah. And we were writing partners at one point, but I got tired of not reading anything you wrote. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is he even any good? <laughs> I think he might be illiterate. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. So we decided uh, film noir. And um, before we get into the movie, though, I have to say that uh, sp- since you mentioned Jaws, everyone should know. And maybe I'll post these on the Facebook page. Um, for my daughter's fourth birthday, Scotty and his girlfriend <laughs> Lily gave her a couple of things, but gave her a – a parents know this. There's certain things you can put in water that will grow and expand. We've had one before. It was uh, – I don't remember what it was. But it didn't expand that much. It was like a, a 3X. Yeah. They're, they're usually a bit of a gag gift, like yeah. the, the grow-your-own-boyfriend or grow-your-own-girlfriend. Grow <laughs> oh, I haven't seen <laughs> that. That was the first one I ever saw, I think. When I was, yeah. uh, but they gave her a shark – and so I've been sending Scotty daily texts on the growth of the shark. It says it would grow to six times its size. It well, would, it, that's true because he came terrifying. in at six or eight inches. So six times uh, eight, that's, that's going to be a four-foot shark I, in I, my bathtub? I think so. <laughs> I can't wait. I, it, I might post some of these. What was the book again? That was Walter and – it was something about a walrus and a shark, like a little girl was afraid of a shark. The book he gave her? And, yeah. I don't know. We haven't read it yet. Yeah, we, we got a stack just, of birthday books. Shark. We're working our way through them. Uh, but yeah, the the shark went started out on a bowl, and then uh, went to a pitcher, water pitcher, and now I was just like, "What am I doing?" I just went and we have a guest bathtub now, <laughs> and I put it in the guest bathtub. I hope it's still there when I stay as a guest sometime. <laughs> I'm wondering how long it's going to take. We're on day eight. I need something in there for scale. I need your hand or. It's a bathtub. It's not like a bathtub for babies or giants. It's just a bathtub. <laughs> That's all the scale you need. <laughs> uh, you should come over and see it in person, though. But that is neither here nor there, everyone. What is really here and there is the movie The Third Man. Yeah, one of my favorites. I, I guess we should, you know, noirs, I'm sure everybody knows. It's yeah, we should set up what this is all about. Kind of be- became 
really hit their stride probably after World War II when there was a, you know, just sort of general disillusionment. Right. Uh, you know. Really? Yeah. After Hitler did his thing? <laughs> yeah, people were down <laughs> people for a while. People were depressed. <laughs> Uh, this movie came out in '49, but uh, I mean, certainly noirs predate this. But you usually have your sort of anti-hero. Okay. Often your detective is, you know, although he is trying to do the right thing, he's like the cops are against him, and you know, so, right? So they sort of, and sometimes they're like alcoholics or yeah, but at they, the very least loners and depressed, even yeah. And, and but usually with a strong sense of their own sense of justice, yeah, like that, that is not necessarily societally right. embraced. Could be back alley. Yeah, uh, pretty much everybody sort of gets theirs in a in most noirs. Like usually, everything is punished. Right. <laughs> Nobody really gets away with anything, except I guess maybe Chinatown. That's a good example. Oh of, yeah, uh, which uh, covered with Chad, our buddy Chad. Yeah. Um, so it's thematic, uh, but it's also film noir is um, known for its visual aesthetic as well. Yeah, very generally. You know, yeah, dark lighting. There's always. Uh, there's always many blinds. Yeah. There's always a blind pattern on the wall. Even really? If, even if there aren't many blinds. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know so, how they, I don't know how they do that, but it's always there. Oh, wow. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so blinds, dark shadows, black and white, ideally. Yeah. Yeah. Your femme fatale usually has, you okay. know, if she, if she isn't your – someone's undoing, she is certainly attempting to be right. the hero's undoing. Uh-huh. But uh, there's a lot of great ones, and that was sort of our thought is to maybe do a few film noirs, and I thought, why not start with a classic one before Jeez. we moved into, you know, an Asian noir or some of the more, you know, neo-noirs. Yeah, because there are sub-genres, right? Genres? <laughs> Genres, yes, they are. Jawas? Um, are we doing Star Wars? Yeah, we can do Star Wars, too. That's a film noir. <laughs> uh, it says here, I looked up the first film noir. But they list the Maltese Falcon as possibly the first film noir. It's said as widely regarded as the first major film noir of the classic era. That's a lot of qualifiers. Mm-hmm. But I can buy that, 1941. It's interesting. The Maltese Falcon is always interesting to me because it's such a complex one mm-hmm. in the sense of like I, I have a hard time imagining like current audiences really falling in love with it. Like, Didn't they remake that? Have they? I don't think so. No. What am I thinking of? I'm thinking of Three Days of the Condor. Oh, yeah. It's, it's another bird movie. <laughs> <laughs> Which is actually based on a book called Six Days of the Condor. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't know why they had to hey, cut three speed days. speed it up, guys. <laughs> Can we get it down to two days? <laughs> the 12 minutes of the Condor is the newest version. <laughs> Eight-minute abs, seven-minute abs. It's going to be streaming on your phone. <laughs> Trust me, you loved it. You've already seen it. So, uh, all right. So, if this is correct, 1941, then this film is – Within the first decade of the film noir, I have a hard time saying that. It's going to be a long hour. <laughs> <laughs> newer. Film newer. Film newer. Uh, but the the third man I had uh, never seen, Scotty. Really? You believe that? It's John Hodgman's favorite movie, by the way. Uh-huh. But he refuses to talk about it on the show. He will only talk about Avengers movies. <laughs> I've had him on twice. That's sort of the running gag now. Um, but yeah, he won't come That's on and talk about it, so we're we're going to do it. I, th- I like old movies. Big old movie fan. I remember seeing this one with my dad when I was little, and what I remembered is I really liked the title. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't even know what that meant until last night. It's a, Can you believe that? Well, I mean, that's the wonderful thing about movies. Something I didn't more. know what the title meant. And in fact, up until, I don't know, it's about the 20 or 30 minute mark when they talk about the two men, and I was laying on my couch and went, oh. That was a literal third man. <laughs> Literally a third man. 
It's well, it's such a strange movie too because it's you know, it's it's really kind of a whodunit a little bit. You know, you're yeah. you're, you're you're there with a you know trying to figure out what's going on, and you know Orson Welles is in it, but he doesn't appear for over an hour. And it's right, one of the most famous entrances in film history. Yeah, and it's I think Scorsese says it's like the best reveal of all time. Yeah, you know? yeah, I read that article. <laughs> yeah, it's boy, just, he loves this movie. Yeah, and. They're, they're, I mean, it's like The Sixth Sense. Can, the Sixth Sense, like, you could really spoil that movie and ruin sure. it for someone. This one, it's like, you know Orson Welles is in it. Yeah. You then show up for an hour and you're still, you know, kind of glued to your seat. Yeah, yeah. What was it we used to joke about Sixth Sense of how we would describe it to people? The worst movie review of all time? <laughs> yeah, so, Bruce Willis's turn as a ghost <laughs> in Sixth Sense <laughs> was both stunning and... <laughs> was Sixth Sense good? Yeah, it was all right. Bruce Willis played this dead guy. <laughs> Kid could see him all. It's kind of cool. Oh, okay. <laughs> you should see it for sure. <laughs> Real surprise and stuff. And then you go and see it, and you're like, it doesn't seem like a ghost <laughs> for like 58 minutes. All right, quick si- aside. I'm English patient. I went and uh, saw that with uh, Spice back in the day. You remember uh-huh. our friend Spice? Sure. We went and saw it. It was like one of those things, you, you know, very much like the Seinfeld show where you're a bad person if you haven't seen and loved in the English patient. So. Right. We had waited too long. We're trying to go see it. Right. We find, you know, we're, I think it was at Phipps Plaza. We're a few minutes late. We get in there. It turns out there was like three shows of it. So we thought we were about five minutes late and we were really like 50 minutes late. So. Oh, no. <laughs> like, so you saw. <laughs> like 40 minutes. <laughs> but I thought it was like the artsiest film of all time. I'm like, boy, they really started right in the middle here. <laughs> You're like, I'm usually pretty good at figuring out the first five minutes, but I'm thrown. <laughs> yeah. Who's this guy in bed who's all this figure? <laughs> yeah. God. I finally saw that actually not too long ago, believe it or not, for the first time. Um, all right. So Third Man, 1949, uh, directed by Carol Reed. Um, written by Graham Greene, who I know you're a big fan of his work, right? Yeah, yeah. This was uh, I think him and Reed worked together three times. This mm-hmm. was uh, their second time. The first, I mean, this is like really a great run of movies for Carol Reed. He had a uh, uh, what were the three of them? Um, there was one. You Our mean Fall the Idol was the one right before this. Yeah, and then uh, he had one with James Mason right before that. The Fallen Idol, uh, third Odd Man, Man Out. Which well, was, of course, Oliver too. Yeah, which Oliver's the one, later. which was the one he won the uh, Oscar for. Yeah, very late. This one, I think he won uh, the Palme d'Or or whatever, whatever the Cannes Prize was before. I don't think they called it the Palme d'Or then, but right, they called it the French Fry. Exactly, he won the French, the La French Fry. <laughs> um, and but uh, the, the producer Alex Corder actually he he sent Graham Greene to Vienna to to write right. he wanted him to write a script based on sort of the four part division of Vienna after the war you had the Russian sector which I didn't know the British yeah it was sort of like East Germany in kind of a weird way yeah and in that beginning voiceover um, it really like sets it up very well I mean because it flat out says what's going on yeah but it was sort of I mean it wasn't quite a newsreel but it really helped set the table uh, for a viewer to know that. Yeah, it's like such a great setting for a noir. I mean, think about I mean, justice is, you know, probably served Divided. You know, yeah. extrajudiciously, extra if at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, you think about it, there's – when you think about four governments in one city, and I've been to Vienna. Um, and they would rule like a month at a time. It would be like it's the Britain's yeah. month to really be in charge. And then the next month, it's the at Russians. At the very least, it's a clusterfuck. Yeah. <laughs> and it's more red tape and bureaucracy and like not even to say things like – Law enforcement and like uh, it's not my jurisdiction. He was, I mean, did they divide it by city block? Well, I think there were four divisions. Then the heart of the city was run by 
Oh, that's right. He Everybody, said, and they yeah, all just the like, international. They all rode together like four guys who don't speak the same language. It in was, a Jeep. yeah, because <laughs> that happens in the film. There are a couple of times where the one of the uh, Polizai or whatever was an American, and I was like, oh, that's right. They're all like just working together. Yeah, it's clumsily. What's well, weird? We were when I was young. I was real young. We were in Germany, and. Uh, there was a there was this East German guy who killed a or, or I think he shot I'm not sure if he killed him but a, a Russian guy there there was like a Russian monument in West Germany mm-hmm. of all places this Russian monument ended up so it was protected by Russian soldiers but it was in the free section of right. Berlin <laughs> yeah exactly so he kills this guy and then he goes on the run and so like the American families like like if the Americans were evacuated out of West Berlin mm-hmm. then the Russian soldiers would guard them so right like, like you know, my mom is freaking out and like, you know, me and my older brothers and I'm tiny, like we're being evacuated. Right. With, you know, Russian guys like for some reason, the Russian guys would protect us. And if it was vice versa, the right. English people would protect. It's <laughs> <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> yeah. Such a strange time. I know. It seems arbitrary. Walls are cool. I mean, I think we all know that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the big takeaway. Walls are great. So cool. Uh, produced by David Ozelznik. David Ozelznik. Ozelznik. And Alex Corda. Alex Corda was sort of the uh, – the, the real producer. Well, he was the one who – Carol Reed was kind of his protege. Right. He was the one who saw something good in him. And it's interesting because Graham Greene actually did reviews of like some of uh, Carol Reed's early movies. Like Graham was a pretty prolific writer. He wrote lots of essays and uh-huh. articles. And and uh, so he was a fan of his even before this. But That's cool. Yeah. Well, they I know they had to um, battle with Selznick. Um, you know, he's back in L.A. He didn't want him to shoot in Vienna. He's like, why are you doing that? Like, well, because it's post-war Vienna. It's already bombed out. It's kind of perfect. <laughs> they built a set for us. Uh, he didn't want him to use, and of course we have to talk about the, is it pronounced zither? Oh, the zither music, yeah. The, uh... <laughs> I mean, that's a, the, this dude, Anton Karras, here's the story. He gets, to, I guess, while... Uh, uh, Carol is in uh, in there. You know, he went there to – or did he send Graham Greene there to write? Or? Well, he sent Graham Greene there to research okay. the novel which, now, is that or the he, screenplay. But but Carol, uh, the director – I keep calling him Carol like he's my buddy, Reed. I feel like Steven Soderbergh, like uh, in one of the – He did a commentary. And there's, yeah. a few, there's a few good commentaries. And one of them he said that apparently the guy was just like playing like the welcome party for the, the crew as they – well, yeah, Vienna, I saw but... that he play, He discovered him in a cafe. It's this – and no one had – I had never even heard of this instrument, dude. And I'm pretty you're, well-versed you're, in my stringed instruments. You're, you're a stringed guy, yeah. And I've never heard of the, the zither. And it's <laughs> – uh, you can look it up online. It looks like a cross between an auto harp, but it also has a, a neck of a guitar attached to it. Well, and that's one of the great things about the opening of the movie is oh, it looks like a guitar. it's just a close up of the uh, the of sound the hole yeah. of the zither and the strings moving in. It's, there's something like almost Saul Bass about it. It's so graphic. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's great. And you don't and you know Americans had never really heard this instrument much, and it sounded uh, it's weird because it's it's become so iconic that score and the use of this instrument uh, that it's become almost, almost like a character in the movie because it's always there. When you least expect it, and at first it sounds like jaunty and happy, but then through the context of this film, has this weird sinister quality. Well, the the movie in general is kind of that way too. I think, I think Green actually called it a comedy thriller, but it's for his for his, for a lot of murder and, yeah. and horrible things and that happen. It's it always keeps sort of a jaunty, 
you know, it's kind of got that cynical gallows humor to it. Even at the beginning when Joseph Cotton first uh, arrives in Vienna as he's going to to uh, Orson Welles' apartment, he walks under that ladder and it's just such a great – it's just comical, you know. It's yeah. like, oh, this guy's about to have bad luck. <laughs> <laughs> didn't even catch that. He you walked know? right under a ladder. Yeah. just And, <laughs> and he's like so he, – Joseph Cotton is so perfect. He's just so ignorant this whole movie. He's just constantly like – you know the Russians demand that uh, demand that the, our our female lead turn over her papers, and he's like, "Don't give him anything." He's like such an American about yeah, it, like yeah. like she has a choice, you right? Know? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, he shows that American bravado a couple of times because another time he's like, "You know, they can't do anything to me. I got my papers in order." <laughs> I'm like, yeah, they can kind of do whatever they wanted. I bet. Apparently, they they actually uh, they actually sent someone over to to coach. The, the writing of the script a little bit to get the Americans just right. There was a, there was a worry that the Americans were basically you had Joseph Cotton who's a bit of a buffoon, right? And then you have Orson Welles who's you know the, the bad guy, right? And, that, and doesn't uh, that was your that was your Americans in the film? Isn't Graham <laughs> Greene famous for writing about the ugly American? Yeah, and well, I mean, and if you think about it, it's it's sort of fitting in a, in a sense. I mean, here comes this. I mean, Holly Martin's you know Joseph Cotton ends up doing. The, the right thing, but he just sort of bumbles his way all the way through with yeah, bravado. He's not, and he's not a master detective or anything. No, the he's whole a writer. Yeah, a he's, pulp uh, cowboy. Fiction, yeah, he's right? he's yelling at a you know the guy about you know you're trying to pin this crime on a dead guy, and then you know finally he realizes yeah. his his friend is a terrible person. Uh, so let's just play a quick bit. I know we're all over the place here, but we'll uh, substitute in later the real uh, clip. But for you and I, for reference, we'll just go ahead and play what the zither sounds like. So not what you would expect for film noir, though, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, or or a lot of films. I mean, there aren't a lot of films <laughs> that, that have a, a one-instrument score. <laughs> no, you're totally right. Uh, but somehow it works, man. And I don't know if it's like uh, the the tail wagging the dog, like because the movie became so iconic, the score did, or not. It's hard to tell. Yeah, it became it became a big hit. It was the it was huge. It was the the lime theme. Yeah, the Harry Lime theme in it. <laughs> like people were dancing to this, and and oh, apparently, uh, apparently, what's his name, Kraus, the uh, the zither player, like yeah. went on tour, and he opened, he went back to Vienna and opened a bar called the Third Man. Oh, God, of course he did. He, even there. now, you can go see the Third Man plays weekly at uh, does it really at the Berg Kino or something in Vienna, and like yeah. you can go on tours of the sewer system. Well, I went there in um, with Chappie in the mid-90s before I knew about this movie. Isn't that where you guys saw Pulp Fiction? Uh, we did see Pulp Fiction in, um, geez, was it Vienna or Holland? One of the two. Not for the first time. We had seen it before. Yeah. But um, I did not know The Third Man, but I knew about there was a famous noir film with the Ferris wheel. So I did, you know, we went and rode the Ferris wheel. That's pretty cool. It but was... now I know, like... I wish I could go back and do that again. Yeah, the first I did that speech. Is still there. <laughs> still there. I don't know. If it, I mean, I guess it's the same one. Maybe they've improved it over time. I think it was the biggest one in the world for a long time. So let's talk about the look of the film a little bit. Um, I mean, we have to talk about the Dutch angles because <laughs> I don't know if there are straight angles. I guess there are. It's yeah. It's it, the the use of. Of the the angles is so consistent that you just 
it's unbelievable that they pulled off in a way. I, I know. Mean, usually it's – usually it, remember we saw Battlefield Earth. Was it you and I saw that together? I never saw that. It's uh, – well, of course, it's the Scientology kind of sure. alien movie. Uh, but it's just Dutch's back and forth, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. And it is so awful. Yeah. You know, in addition to like, you know, Forrest Whitaker ring and right. high-heeled boots and right. kiss boots and stuff. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, we need to do a special like bad sci-fi like that one in Jupiter Ascending. I know you're we dying should, to we, do Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> we saw that together it's so, in it's the theater. So Shakespearean yeah. and bad <laughs> and good. But uh, – yeah, I mean, it's, somehow he pulls it off, you know. Yeah. And, and I think when you watch the Soderbergh, uh, Tony Gilroy commentary, like <laughs> Gilroy keeps going, do you think he covered it both ways so he could just cut it later? And oh, interesting. I think Soderbergh's just kind of like, oh, no, Probably I think not. he just, just did it. But somehow it works, you know. It's, and I've yeah. heard people say that – I feel like even in school, like we were taught that like whenever someone's lying to him, the, the camera is oh. Dutch. But I've never really been able to uh, – uh, there's, it's touched a lot. There's yeah. not that many lies in this movie. I th- yeah, I've never been able to equate it with anything yeah. like any sort of numerical or, you know, like there's any code to it. Right, yeah, I don't think so. Um, it looks great, though. I mean, that, that first bit where uh, he has a conversation up the stairway with the German man very early in the film, those frames look like M.C. Escher paintings or something. Yeah. It's, you know, with the staircases oh, yeah. and that black and white and those Dutch angles. It's just crazy how great it looks. And, yeah, sometimes I wonder if, if the Dutch angles, like, really work because of the black and white. Like, it just becomes more graphic. It helps, I think. Yeah. it's Because like, otherwise, Dutch angles sort of feel a little comic book when they're in color. Yeah. You know. Yeah, like MTV's The Real World. <laughs> Which, by the way, I found my audition tape. Really? <laughs> yeah, I was cleaning oh out audition when I was in Athens, and we instead of like a little five minute thing, we did like a fake real world episode. Of course, <laughs> me and my brother. So I dug it out the other day. I was like, ah, I need a VCR. <laughs> uh, well, we can probably get one cheap. No, yeah, exactly. Uh, no, I'm going to dig it up though. We'll watch it. We'll have it remastered. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but beyond that, like almost the entire film takes place at night. There are very few daytime scenes. Yeah, apparently. when they do, it looks rainy. Yeah, they, well, they, well, they shot a lot on on a. They shot, I think, six weeks in in Vienna, and then they went back to England and did sets for everything. Like so, right, so Shepperton. Everything is there. Sets for everything, you know. Sure. And I guess they had to do sets for the sewers too, because Orson Welles went and yeah, heard about that. Which, He's anyway, a pain in the ass, apparently. Yeah, and he was like weeks late. And, yeah, you know, which is <laughs> which is great because a lot of those iconic shots of the of the big shadow of the third man moving. You know, off in the distance where you uh-huh. don't know who it is. It's like, not him anyway. It was just out of necessity, you know. <laughs> it was the guy Hamilton, the AD of the movie, got, you know, they put him in a coat and hat. And, Did they? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That he was Carol Reed's, like, he was kind of his guy. Yeah. He was cool, dude. Apparently, later he went on to direct a bunch of the Bond movies. Oh, really? And even Payne, like Callahan's assistant, Payne. He's one of the best characters in the movie. He's he's M later on in the James Bond movies. Oh, he looked familiar. There's two M's in this movie. There's another guy who is, becomes— Is the guy who sets him up for the literary thing, was he an M? Yeah, I think so, yeah. The long face guy? Yeah, yeah. Ah, because they both looked really familiar <laughs> to me. It's totally Bond. Yeah. Um, yeah, the guy, uh, Calloway's— Is it Calloway? Yeah. His assistant guy was the most likable character in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he he punches him out at the very beginning and immediately he's like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, he's so British. He's his biggest fan and he, he like knocks him down. And, you know. But he has to. He insulted, you know, 
he insulted his superior, so he just punched him in the mouth. And immediately was like, oh, okay, come on, let's take care of you. <laughs> come here, son. You're a mess. He's so affable. And I, I mean, this, of course, we're going to spoil the whole movie, but I hate that he got fucking killed in the end. It was terrible. That was the worst part of the movie. He does. It's Well, I mean, let's, we should talk about the movie. Why don't we, why don't we run our way our right through the movie? Well, we were, we were near the beginning anyway, so, you know. Let's start he... at the beginning before we get to the end. Because <laughs> <laughs> if, if we get to the end, I want to talk forever about the end. That's right. We'll get there. Um, well, we meet Holly Martins, when, and that name is a uh, sort of a running joke in the movie. Yeah, it's kind of a ridiculous name. A man named Holly. Yeah. And Holly Martins. And he even makes a joke at the end about his name. Yeah. Sorry. Did yeah. I mention the end? In the, <laughs> in, the, in the novella, his name was Rollo. Oh, really? Yeah. Rollo. Which, which I think, uh, I th- rightly so, I think they thought was not very American. It was more of a, I don't know. Yeah. A, more of a silly British name than a silly American name. Yeah, totally. Uh, but the whole concept of, of the, if you haven't seen the movie and you want to know the plot, is this American goes to Vienna at the behest of a, his friend, Harry Lime. He, and we don't really know. He's just like kind of come on over here. I guess like an opportunity. This guy's a pulp novelist. And when he gets it there, uh, his friend is dead, supposedly been hit by a car or a bus. And um, there is the femme fatale is the woman that he was seeing. Um, what is that actor actor's name? Ali Ali Valley. Ali Alita Alita Valley. Alita Valley. What has she been in? She had a bunch of it. She she ended up. Uh, she was in Suspiria later on. Oh, and Eyes Without a Face. Like, Who was she in Suspiria? Uh, I think she was one of the the older teachers. Oh, really? I recall. Oh, wow. She, uh, yeah, she I guess kinda, she would have had to have been. I think she had a, a she was kind of considered a an Igmar Bergman type. At yeah, this in point. Italy, and uh, I think she ended up just going back to doing stage work mostly and, gotcha. and, and more European films. It wasn't that her career didn't go anywhere. It was just she sort of disappeared from the American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Well, which means American she didn't movie. do shit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. She wanted to make real art, not uh... – <laughs> Exactly. Um, so uh, there's this woman as well. But um, basically when she suggests that it wasn't an accident um, is when he decides, you know what? I'm going to stay, see if I can figure out what's going on um, after being kind of told to leave – because, hey, your friend was a bad guy. He was in racketeering. Yeah, basically he, he shows up there. He goes to his friend's apartment and the, the, the porter is telling him, oh, you just missed him. He just, he just got hit by a car. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> you know. So uh, there were funny parts in it because I found myself laughing a couple of times. And I was like, all right, I guess this is supposed to be a little funny. I, yeah, I, I think I think that's one of the great things about it. It, it keeps it light, you know. It's it's the, the funnest film noir you'll ever see, I think. <laughs> like the, I mean, I thought there were a couple of visual jokes, like when the huge shadow was coming at the end at the stakeout, and it was a guy with the balloons. Yeah, like that's a joke, right? Oh yeah, and then <laughs> and, when, and later when or earlier when Holly's being chased by the little kid, calling him a murderer. Murder! You see, his, the little kid has a giant shadow too. <laughs> yes. it's totally just. Oh jokes. man, that kid's gonna give me nightmares. <laughs> Jesus. Murder! Murder! Yeah. Yeah. That scene was really tense. And once again, Holly Martin is just an idiot. He's running up there and she's, you know, she's like, they think you're the murderer. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he keeps saying, like, I don't speak your language. I'm like, dude, they're saying murder. <laughs> like it's, I guess, a cognate or something because it's kind of clear what's going on. It's funny. Uh, it's, it's, and it's at the end of the first act that we learn of the third man. I made that note, you know, structurally. 
that classic screenplay, you know, right at that 30-minute mark. Yeah. Dun, 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 there was a third man. <laughs> they, uh, yeah, it's, it's great because he keeps going. Like everybody keeps telling him the story and, and it just never adds up. It's like, oh, well, we watch him across – two people carried him across the street and then somebody yeah. else says, oh, there was a – uh, well, he was talking to us and telling us this, and somebody else was like, "Oh, he died instantly." And yeah, well, plus it's like I think his doctor comes along right after he gets hit. Doctor Winkle, Winkle, Doctor Winkle. That's a joke. And he actually gets hit by his own driver. Yeah, supposedly it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, n- none of it sounds very convincing. No. And at the very least, it's enough for uh, for Joseph Cotton to uh, to stay. Like he's being asked to leave, and he won't leave, which is sort of a I don't know if it's quite a trope, but I've seen that before in movies. Like, you know, do the smart thing and just go go back to your home. Yeah, exactly. Don't well, ask questions. Well, and he thinks – he feels like that, you know, just since his friend is dead, they're going to pin this bracketeering black market crime on him right. to close the case. So right. he, he thinks the police are dirty. Yeah. Um, so he's going to prove that – initially he thinks he's going to prove that Harry was murdered and it wasn't right. just an accident. Yeah, there's a lot of red herrings actually. Yeah, I think that's I think that's one of the things I really like about this one is is that every everything drives the story forward. Like you never really feel like you go off on a tangent. Like everything is driving. Like he keeps finding out more information about yeah. that day, what happened, and all of that leads to naturally to whatever the next scene is. You right. Know? It's kind of like Chinatown. Chinatown yeah. had that amazing where nothing seemed extraneous. Every every right. every little detail illuminated another avenue of inquiry. Yeah. Based upon you know what happened to Harry, yeah, it's interesting. Emily and I were talking about uh, Sophia Coppola the other day because I had just done the film somewhere in here with someone else with mm-hmm. Paul, and uh, she sort of you know there's you know, as a writer like you always hear like you always got to be driving that plot forward, like always got to be moving it forward, but she sort and especially in noir I think you really it helps, but she eschews that a bit, and she has a lot of scenes and shots that are like atmospheric. And don't drive the story forward at all, but maybe they drive the overall mood. Um, so I don't think it's like the total rule of thumb that you always got to be driving it forward. Yeah. Well, I think in, in her movie, so many of them are character-driven and atmospheric, yeah. like Lost in Translation. It's you know about this this girl, you know, who's with her successful husband, right? And she's sort of what is she doing with her days? You know? Right. Uh, you know how long the script was for somewhere. How long? Like sixty pages or forty-four. <laughs> Can you believe that? Isn't that crazy? Somehow it works. Oh God! Um, all right. So back to this movie. Um, he's on the scene. He's basically trying to run this little investigation. He's interviewing everyone that he can get access to and he's met with uh, he sort of resistance. Stum- yeah, well, he sort of, he just lucks into everything that happens to him too. Like yeah. originally, he has no money. He's supposed to, you know, the Callahan wants to put him on a, a plane the next day. Sure. And then there's like a cultural attache who's <laughs> that was doing great. a symposium who <laughs> sort of mistakes him for a real writer when he just <laughs> writes these like, you know, bad Western novels. Yeah. And he's like, oh, you can speak at our thing. And he's like, well, can I stay, put me up here at the hotel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It just, everything just – people just keep giving him money when he shows up. Like he has no money and, and so, uh, he, yeah, it's just dumb luck the whole way. He's, yeah. But it's and funny, he doesn't come across as a bumbling guy, though. It's a weird mix between the trope of sort of the cocksure, one step ahead of everything, mm-hmm. and a bumbling idiot. He's he's sort of a likable guy, and it just all kind of happens in front of him. Yeah, yeah. Well, just throughout the movie, he's always sort of 
It's it's like he's always putting himself in danger for no reason, you know. It's like he's he's telling people things he shouldn't tell them. You yeah, know? that's true. <laughs> <laughs> he's like I don't know. He's just like like I think you're the killer, and they're like, well, yeah. And I think in fact that the the murder scene, I think he does that very thing there. I think he says, you know, basically to Vulture's like. Well, who he is and what he's doing there or something. I can't remember exactly, but I remember thinking like, why are you telling them that? <laughs> it all works out for him, though. It does. Um, well, that's actually when that happens uh, is after he goes to see, you know, Anna is shaken down by Major Calloway. And that's where we learn that she has faked her papers and is uh, illegally in country. And so he's going to deport her, basically. Mm-hmm. So that kind of sets up that B story. That she's going to be leaving town soon. Yeah, yeah, she's uh, you know, that she was Henry's or uh, Harry's girlfriend, and I guess that was you know, in addition to the black market, he got a got some got a good deal on some fake passports. Yeah, well, she says later too that he's the one that uh, helped helped her do that, right? Yeah, like he either faked them or bought them, I guess. Um, and that's when they, you know, they, they one of the guys, you know, goes to see the doctor Vinkel. And then the um, – There's such a great char- cast of characters. The, oh, the yeah. first guy he meets, Baron Kurtz. Oh, yeah. He's like carrying the Oklahoma kid book. That I just... am the Baron. <laughs> I think the Cohen brothers are probably hearkening back to that guy. Remember the dude in Intolerable Cruelty? And he looks so evil too. It's yeah. just like – Holly's like sitting there thinking that he's like such a good guy. Oh, he's, totally. He's Harry's friend and you just – I feel like as the audience, you have to know this guy's evil. It's kind of like Max Fodden Seedow showing up. Right. <laughs> you know, when he showed up in Minority Report, I was like – Worst red herring of all time. It's like I know yeah. Max von Sydow is going to be the bad guy. Uh-huh. I know he might be Tom Cruise's friend right now, but <laughs> right. at the end, he is going to be the bad oh, guy. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah, there are definitely certain actors where, like, you put them in Act One, and they're going to go off in Act Three. <laughs> Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to three percent daily cash on every purchase every day. That's three percent on your favorite products at Apple, two percent on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases. And 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually 
in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. He goes to see Vinkel, and that's when he gets called out as the murderer because um, the dude has been killed. The uh, well, the porter. Who was he? Was he the porter? The porter is a uh, is is the guy that he first meets when he goes into goes to, to see Harry at his apartment. He's the one that says, "Oh, you're five minutes too late. Your your friend's dead." You know, just left. Is him he the coffin. guy with the wife who doesn't want him to talk to him? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I feel like there's two guys that kind of look alike. Well, no, no, it's the porter who 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 keeps. And earlier, he, he Holly's like yelling at him, saying he needs to. He's the one that brings up the third man, and he's like, "We well, right. need to go to the police." And they argue, and the little boy actually oversees them arguing, which is why That's later right. he thinks he killed. The oh, porter. and he was to meet him too, right? Because he said, "Hey, come around when my wife's not here, and I can really talk to you." And then he's killed, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and like I guess well, well, like instantly too, because he like yells out to Holly and says, "No, come tonight." When my wife, and then right. he closes he turns the around. window, he turns around and like whoever's going to kill him. So well, it's, it's like, Orson Welles, right? Or was it his wife? I don't know. I mean, I assume it was Orson Welles. I mean, it's got to be. Yeah, you would think. Or yeah. and it, Orson Welles is the third man, right? Yeah. Or is he? I think so. Yeah. Right. I, would, I would say he is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's probably a dumb thing to say, but the idea was that the third man carried a body. I mean, did they have a body? Was it the guy that they buried? Or well, did they just fake and lie this whole thing? Well, of course, the person who ends up being buried in Harry's grave is – is Harbin the guy who mm-hmm. he's getting the black market penicillin from? Right, so, which was a real life uh, thing that Graham Greene heard about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was he heard that from some Royal Air Force people or something. Yeah, yeah. Something. So he thought it was a good jumping off point for a for a movie noir or whatever. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to see this movie more in my life, and I think some of those like plot points will be sewn shut. With repeated viewings? Well, Orson is definitely the third man. Okay. But I, I think that's the whole thing is the, the story of him getting hit. It's like at first he's helped across the – at first he dies instantly. And then later someone says, well, he told me to make sure I took care of you when he got right. here. It's like, well, and did Anna. he die or uh-huh. did he give you instructions? And it's like, well, how many people carried him to the curb? And, right. And then, of course, like, you know, his doctor shows up immediately and, you know, it's it's all very fishy. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's sort of a natural loose thread for Holly to start pulling on and – yeah. You know, and given that he thinks his friend doesn't think his friend is a bad guy, of course he you know, right. thinks, well, maybe he was murdered. Right, right. Uh, then you get one of the great uh, fake-out scenes in movies when he gets shoved into that car and, like, <laughs> driven at breakneck speed all through town. And you think, well, first of all, it's funny, the beginning, like, it's clearly he's being basically abducted. Um, and then he's saying, like, no, you're missing the street. I'm supposed to go over here. I'm like, dude. He's not listening to you. Yeah, after after the little boy tries, says he's a murderer and the crowd sort of starts to chase him, he runs. And I, well, I think he finally gets to his hotel, right? He gets to his hotel yeah. and he's, he's, he's like, get me a car. And They're like, we have one. He was already here waiting for you or whatever, that shady-looking driver. Yeah, he was a, a well-cast guy and he sort of throws him in and, and drives him in and you, and you think for sure he's about to. Oh, yeah. You, know, you, know, he's, you're, you think you're for sure you're about to find out who's the bad guy. Right. You know. But where does he take him? 
He takes him to the literary meeting. It's <laughs> <laughs> so great. It's he gets he's shoved like, into this room and they're like, ah, oh, welcome. It's yeah. almost like a surprise party. <laughs> exactly. He's kind of like hiding and, and cowering as the door opens and everybody's like, surprise. <laughs> that's really funny. And then that's a train wreck, you know, because he's what, – what, what's the one question they ask him about uh, – well, they're asking him about like James Joyce and stuff. And I, well, know, that was funny too. Of stream course. of consciousness. Yeah, and, stream of know. consciousness. That's it. And he's like, "What? I uh, <laughs> James Joyce?" Yeah, that brings up his favorite author is author is Zane Gray, which right? Is, you know, pretty much code for dumb American. Is that what it was? <laughs> yeah. Zane Gray. I'm yeah. not even sure. Um, really good fake out though. And then they also another one of the great jokes is. Uh, when he when he's uh, in the dark room and there's the dancing cockatoo and he turns on the light, <laughs> he bites him on the way out. <laughs> yeah, it's just I mean, that, it's such a silly movie in some ways. To, it to really be a, is to be a noir, you know. But in the next scene, like he gets bit by the cockatoo. In the next scene, he's with Calloway again. He goes, he's like, uh, Martin, what happened to your finger? He goes, parrot bit me. He goes. Stop acting like a fool, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, that's literally what happened. It just wasn't apparent. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, at this point, it's, it's a surprise that foolish things are happening to, <laughs> to this fool. <laughs> but, you know, he's – Callaway is, is – is, it. that's another bit of a fake out is, you know, you, you think these guys are bad cops or something. And, like, he's right. He His friend was a bad guy. He had this black market penicillin ring that's, like, killing children because they're getting diluted – Selling back, I guess, diluted penicillin that's not effective. Yeah. Uh, and he's, he's – So what, what right. seems seems like sort of harmless becomes yeah, yeah. life-threatening, you know. Yeah, but I wonder if, if Harry Lyme, like, if confronted with that would care. Because he's only in the movie a few minutes, like six or eight minutes or something. Yeah. Even less. Well, it's, well it's, I mean, that's – that's the interesting thing is when they're on the Ferris wheel later on, when he's talking to Holly, he's like, you know, he's looking at, he's like, ah, oh, they're just little dots from down here. It's like, right. you know, would your life really change if a few of those dots just stopped moving? You know, oh. If you got 20,000 pounds for each dot that stopped moving. I didn't catch that line. How would, you know, how would you feel about him then? Oh. And it's always, and then there's always such dark humor too. He's like 20,000 pounds per dot. And, and that's tax free, my friend. Yeah, tax free. <laughs> well, know? I mean, that's the big reveal in our end. Like we're saying that, that. Such a great reveal because he's – first of all, there's a setup with the cat and some great lines because he's up there. Uh, um, Holly is in love or thinks he's in love with Anna and she's like, the cat only liked Harry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a great line. Yeah, he's, he's got the little – he's got the string on the flower. Well, the interesting, there's an interesting scene before that. I want to see what you think. After, after Callahan, basically Callahan says, I'm going to give you evidence right. that – that Harry was a bad guy. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And and there's that great montage of like – and I think Callahan or Callaway, I, I get it wrong because they say it back and forth in the movie. Holly keeps they calling do. him – like everybody there's does that too. She, she calls him Harry. She yeah. calls him Harry all the time. Uh-huh. Calls Holly Harry. But uh, he says, bring out the Magic Lantern show, Payne. And they bring out the the uh, slideshow. Oh, right. And then a, a rhinoceros pops up, you know, another great joke. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to show him the evidence. <laughs> but there's all that. that evidence. It's like fingerprints and, uh-huh. you know, you can't, can't dispute a fingerprint, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that seems still seemed like set up, though, like that they had faked that stuff just to get Joseph Cotton out of the country. Well, he's – well, he's – I mean, he's pretty – 
down after that. And yeah. he ends up in that bar, which I think is, you know, a brothel, basically. There's all these women. There's oh, nobody it? in it but him and all these women at the bar who are all turned and looking at him. Yeah. And there's an old lady selling flowers. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe so. And then there's a woman who comes down the steps as he's... Oh, that's right. And I was like, is that a brothel he's in? It might have been, you know, actually. Um, but then he goes to see uh, Alita... To confess his love. And, and once again, he's just a bumbling idiot, you know. Yeah. And she, I think she even tells him, she's like, if you were to call me on the phone and ask me if you were fair or dark or had a mustache, I wouldn't know. Right. I mean, basically, she could have, couldn't have any less interest in him. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> and he's kind of, he's drunk, which yeah. she calls him out on. He's kind of a drunk. I mean, I think he is a drunk, basically. Yeah, he's, he's like a drunk writer. Yeah. Um, but she, yeah, she excuses him, basically. And that, that, that whole thing kind of set up the cat thing. Because the big reveal, you see the cat. Um, nipping at the wingtips, yeah, the, the, the yeah the the figure hiding in the shadows, uh-huh. and and he, drunk Holly's like yelling at him. He's like, "Why are you following me?" And once again, he's just an idiot. The neighbor turns on the light, and it, it's Orson Welles, and he just has that perfect smirk, you know, oh, God, that wry little smile. <laughs> so good, it's such a great reveal. Um, I have to say, I watched the last like forty minutes of it this morning, and um, Ruby came out there with me and woke up. And just like nuzzled in with me on the couch. Why are they running? <laughs> Dude, she she watched the last 40 minutes of this movie solid. And the only like thing she said, like a couple of scenes after that, she went, what happened to the cat? <laughs> <laughs> and then there was one more thing she said later. I can't remember. I could basically told her he's a bad guy and these are the good guys are chasing him because she understands that. And she said, I want to chase bad guys one day when I'm a firefighter. Is what she said at the awesome. end. I was like, well, not quite the same job. I like her vision of firefighting. Unless she wants to be an arson investigator. There you go. <laughs> or a smoke jumper. You can, oh, <laughs> well, you're not chasing bad guys. Unless the bad guy's the smoke. Bad guy's fire. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we finally get the third man. We finally get Orson Welles in there. Uh, he he. Just well, well Holly, so Holly chases him and he disappears. And then he goes back to Callaway the, and says, yeah. I saw him. Right. Which, which, you know, Callaway thinks he's... Well, he knows he's an idiot, so he right. thinks <laughs> he thinks he must just be drunk, and I, I think right. that's when he finally. Well, that's when they discover the the sewer passage or whatever. He's like, "What did he just disappear into thin air?" And there's that <laughs> door in the middle of the street. Yeah, it's like, or did he go through that door and go down? Yeah, apparently, apparently there is a there is an amazing sewer system under Vienna. But it looks like the aqueducts of Rome or something. Yeah, yeah, that's. I mean, Vienna is high up on the list, if for no other reason than to uh, ride the Ferris wheel, mm-hmm. see the movie there. and, and You know what my takeaway was? Uh, cleanest major city I'd ever been to at that point. Really? Beautiful, clean. Like, looked like someone walked around and, like, literally cleaned the city every day. Well, the, the, you know, the Viennese, <laughs> the Viennese and, the, and the Germans are – Yeah. They, they run a tight ship. Yes. <laughs> Fastidious peoples. Uh it's a one of the things I, I I found interesting about this movie is is they uh, they talk in the commentary about there was a three crews that worked. Yeah, you I, I a, read that. You had a day crew that apparently didn't do much. Uh-huh. There was a night crew. Sure, they were their money that was busy, and then there was the sewer crew. Oh, uh, right. And uh, <laughs> it's great because apparently Carol Reed worked all three crews and just slept you know a few hours a day. Wow. But he, he was just on on Benny's. Oh, I'm sure. He was on Benzedrine. Yeah. Like, you know, just <laughs> Back then it was. Piped up on amphetamines. Here's your speed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here's the pre- prescription. <laughs> yeah. And, you know. Yeah, that is nuts. Managing three crews is crazy. But most of it takes place at night. And, like, 
the city itself is like a character because it's bombed out, which is really striking to see these beautiful buildings. And some of them, like right next door, would be rubble. Um, there's a German term for that, apparently, about post-war movies. I wrote it down. What is it? Uh, now I'll find it. Well, I think the DP Krasker did such a great job, too, just – I mean, the lighting of it. I mean, it's, you know, he was big into German expressionism. So what a great movie to basically yeah. to use it on. I mean, it's like there's piles of rubble everywhere. So you can just stick a light behind that pile of rubble. And Which make, is why he wanted to shoot there. Make they, a giant shadow wherever, yeah. you, you know, the lights can be wherever you want to. It was, uh, I think it was truffle film and it was uh, rubble films is <laughs> what the Germans <laughs> called them. This is definitely a rubble it's film. very interesting. Uh, and there's never anyone on the streets too. It looks like they just shut down the city. Which adds so much atmosphere, like that literally never even anyone walking around at night. Yeah, then well, and whenever there is a close up, like those people are actually local Viennese. I oh mean, yeah, you know all those close ups of those people, like you know when people are, people are being chased <laughs> through the streets and there's a face poking out a window. Uh-huh. It is it is you know someone who actually yeah. lived through the war there, and you know it's. I think this is one of one of their earlier movies, like shot on location like that. You yeah. Know, yeah, they didn't do that much at the time. They're like, why Why are we going to Vienna? Yeah, the, the, the way to do it would be to shoot it on a soundstage. Yeah, we'll do it Los Angeles. <laughs> it'd be great. Well, and that's what Selznick wanted, too. He fought them over that, too, and uh, as well as the actors. He didn't want Joseph Cotton or Orson Welles in this movie. Well, actually, I think Joseph Cotton was Selznick's because he had him under contract, oh, believe it or not. Uh, well, he wanted someone else earlier on. I think he wanted James Stewart. Like, Well, they talked about James Stewart originally. Uh-huh. They talked about Noel Coward. He wanted right. Noel Coward instead of Orson Welles, and it's hard to blame him for that given what a pain Orson Welles was. But. Yeah, but boy, he just – that gravitas, man. Uh, he makes the movie. That it's, face. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Well, it's funny too because it ends up reteaming Cotton and, and Orson Welles, you know, even though yeah. two different producers were pushing for them for different reasons. Like they started the Mercury, yeah. you know, theater company. So it was – And he was in three of his movies too. Yeah, and there's kind of a comment. There's a, a misperception for some people that Orson Welles directed this movie. And, yeah. I, and I think I thought that in my early 20s. Well, I did too. And there's also a, um, a an apparently very untrue perception, misperception, that uh, he kind of really did though. Like he's not the director, but he really did while he was there. And that's not true at all. It was all Carol Reed. No, he wasn't even there. I mean, he was he was like two weeks late for production. And yeah, I mean, but... he did write. Um, well, let, let's get to it. They they exhume the um, the grave, and it's proof now that Harry Lyme is alive. Yeah, basically, they find the uh, the medical orderly who Lyme was getting the penicillin from, who had, is actually the one that was giving them evidence on mm-hmm. Harry. They were, I think, they were. They only hadn't arrested him because they hadn't didn't have quite enough proof, and then he turns up dead. So, is the idea that Harry's killing all these guys? I think so because because yeah. it'd be him, and it would be the porter, just straight up murder. These aren't like kids that just happened to die because their penicillin wasn't good. No, I think I think Harry's a murderer because yeah, because even at the end when 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 he comes in, well, let's not go there. Yet. All right, <laughs> uh, Anna is. De- Deported or on her way to being deported, they bring her in at least. All right, I have to talk about that scene just for a second. It's All so right. great. Is that when he pulls in? Uh, Calloway pulls her in. Yeah. Well, the, well, the four, the four, yeah, uh, military police show up. <laughs> they they walk in. The Russian guy just stares at her and watches her change. <laughs> yeah. Like she walks into a shadowy <laughs> corner and changes. He just stares at her. Uh-huh. Everybody else turns away. Then the English guy puts her coat on her. Right. 
she's, I don't understand. And the American cop says, oh, it's protocol. And she's like, I don't understand. She's like, well, I don't understand either. Right. <laughs> and then as she's walking down the steps, the French guy hands her her lipstick. Yeah, well, yeah, It's like, yeah, that yeah. is like the most perfect. That's right. He does. <laughs> At the very end, he's like, oh, your lipstick. <laughs> you don't want to be arrested without your lipstick. <laughs> yeah. God, what a crazy situation with the four different countries. I mean, I, th- to me, that had to have been a joke too. I mean, just. I'm surprised the Allied's, I don't know. What a clunky way to do it. I guess that was the the, the turnout of, you know, basically everybody racing to liberate yeah, cities right. first, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's they have their thumb in it or whatever. Yeah. We, we got here but we got here at the same time. It's a tie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um so she gets called in but they are or hauled in and um then waylaid by Callaway who basically is like, listen, like we know he's alive and we'd like to get our mitts on him. Uh, and basically asking for her help. Well I, th- well, I think what happens is is he's saying that sort of lamenting and, and Holly's the one who says, you know, says he would pay any price or Callaway says he would pay any price. Yeah. And then Holloway get, or Holly gets the idea and says, well, what price would you pay? So his, the, basically the word deal he works is to set Anna free. Right. And he'll help them trap Harry. Right. Even though he needs money. But he really wants us to get laid. <laughs> well, I also think at this point he's like, he's seen the evidence and he and he's realized that right that Lime's not a good guy. Yeah, Lime is a bad guy. So right, but Anna is. I mean, she's faithful to him. I mean, as we will see later on, which we're getting to. But we are finally at the Ferris wheel. Um, that is the next scene where Harry. Uh, and it's funny when they finally meet up. It's not like. Uh, some big thing. He's just like, hey, let's go for a walk, old friend. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, it's broad daylight. It's the Russian sector, where, which yeah. is the only place where Harry is safe, sure. oddly enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he'd be arrested anywhere else because right. law and order. <laughs> <laughs> right. Even then, apparently, the Russians were not big on that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he just shows up and they, they ride in the Ferris wheel. And I, I think, you know, he he really tempts Holly. Like, he's, he's you know, talking about cutting him in and all this. Yeah. And, he gives him the opportunity to do the wrong thing. What Harry thinks is the right thing is to make money. Uh, and then there's that weird threatening part where – He opens the door and Holly yeah. walks over and like sort of wraps <laughs> his arm around the uh, yeah the, the post. So, you know, well, so he can't be he thrown says, out easily. He straight up says, I have a gun. I doubt if anyone would check a, a splatted body for bullet holes basically. Yeah. So he kind of threatens to kill him and then is sort of like, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> He's like Dwight Yoakam in uh, Sling Blade. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, – yeah, he is, it's it's amazing that that Wells comes off as likable as he does for I know. as long as he does in this movie because he he really is not a he's the worst. Yeah, he he sucks. He's children are dying. He's straight up murdering people. He threatens his friend, but he flashes that smile. It's just sort of like he can't help but like him for some reason. It's weird. And, and calls you old man, and you're like <laughs> <laughs> old man. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. 
style. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Uh, I do want to read that that uh, bit. I've got the uh, screenplay here. But his great monologue on the Ferris wheel, uh, he's talking about, to set up the context, everyone, he's talking about uh, antacid tablets, basically, mm-hmm. that he's running out of that he can only get <laughs> <Yeah>. in America. <laughs> and as they're stepping off, he said, I wish I had asked you to bring me some of these tablets from home. Holly, I would like to cut you in, old man. Nobody left in Vienna, uh, Vienna I can really trust We've always done everything together. When you make up your mind, send me a message. I'll meet with you any place, any time. And when you do meet, old man, it is you I want to see, not the police. Remember that, won't you? So there's a threat. Then the next thing he says is, don't be so gloomy. After all, it's not that awful. Remember what the fellow said in Italy for 30 years under the, uh, what is it, Borges? Borges. Borges. They had warfare, terror, murder, bloodshed, and they produced Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, and the Renaissance. In Switzerland, they had brotherly love. They had 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. <laughs> so long, Holly. <laughs> so Wells wrote that. That's Graham Greene even acknowledged. Yeah. Well, I think he lifted it from somewhere, but it was his. It was right. That's a, an honest contribution to the script. That, yeah, and that like was paraphrased idea. at least. Yeah. So great, man. I mean, one of the great monologues. Well, it's great, too. I mean, and it's funny to think about it. I mean, Wells is 30 at this point. Is he really? Yeah. I mean. Jesus. How old is he when he made Citizen Kane? Like, like, he was like 21. Oh, jeez. Maybe 23 or something. I mean, he was. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was washed up by the time he was 35, wasn't he? Well, he was just, I think, so we're getting difficult to work with. It. Right. You know, he was, even Selznick didn't want him in this movie because he was box office poison, quote unquote. Oh, uh, really? Which he wasn't. He was just, you know. He was on set poison. Yeah, I don't know much about the man. I need to do a little Orson Welles dive, uh, like on the person. Yeah, yeah. He's well, it's certainly fascinating. I mean, he's, you know, a lot of great ideas that, you know, 
he became less successful the older he got. Like as a kid, who was he to us? He was the Muppet Show and Gallo Wine spokesman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which have you seen those outtakes when he's bombed <laughs> on set of that commercial? It's really great. <laughs> he's just hammered. Oh man, I would I would give anything to have been a PA. Oh my god, can somewhere. you imagine? <laughs> trying to think of anything that would equate that these days. Of all the people who yelled at me when I was a production assistant, why couldn't Orson Welles have been one of them? <laughs> yeah, I would have loved to have either been uh, a PA on that or like the camera AC for the Winnebago Man <laughs> commercials. <laughs> Did you see that documentary about the Winnebago? Oh man? yeah, it was great. It was good, so was good. good. Do me a kindness. Um, so that you know they have the great scene. He leaves. Uh, then there's the the train station scene. Um, Once again, Holly is just a bumbling yeah. idiot. He puts he he has her on the train to safety, and then she sees him in the cafe. <laughs> Gets off wants the to train. know why he's what what he's doing there, and then she figures out that he's he basically he got her, he paid for her freedom by yeah. turning over on Lyme and and helping the police catch him. Yeah. And so she she's tears like, up her passport. <laughs> <No. laughs> just, He's like, oh, I guess I really blew this one. Yeah. <laughs> it's just dumb shit. Yeah, it what, didn't really occur to me as I was watching it, like in another viewing after this talk, like all this stuff is going to be so much more apparent, I think. I, it didn't occur to me until many viewings in when I was yeah. just like, man, why is – well, even at the literary meeting when the guy when the, the guy is like asking him, basically he he realizes that Lime is on the run for a reason because right. the porter has been killed. Everybody knows he's getting too close. Yeah. So this guy goes to the literary reading, you know, after the sort of the, the fake kidnapping, the end of the literary reading, the bad guys do show up. And the guy is telling me, right. he's, like, he's like, are you working on your next book? And he's like, yes, I think I'm going to call it <laughs> The Third Man. <laughs> I just started working on it. It's about a murder and it's based on fact. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, is it more fact than fiction? Yeah. And he's like, I think you should stick to fiction. And he gives him every chance to say, yeah, you're right. But he says, no, it's going to be fact. And that's when he, he walks over there and he's two goons. He's like, go kill him. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. What yeah, a dumb shit. Yeah. He just. Oh, God. So he ruins Anna leaving. He's ruining everything. Uh, this is when he sees uh, – after this is when he sees the uh, – he gets led to the uh, baby ward and sees the sick babies. And that really seals the deal. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He Well, he tries to – Well, he changes his mind, right, with, with Anna. Well, yeah. After after Anna refuses to uh, to leave, he's like, what's the point in – and turn it over on Harry. Right. And uh, so he's going to get on the plane and on the way, Callaway yeah, yeah, yeah. takes right. him by the ward. Which, the which of course, where you see nothing. You yeah, there are no babies in that shot. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think that the only thing you see is is a nurse turning a bear over on its face or something. Yeah, like as if this baby died. So like <laughs> it doesn't need its bear anymore. Huh? <laughs> and so what do you do? You turn the bear over. <laughs> Don't watch bear. <laughs> Uh, it's sort of a ham-fisted way of dealing with that, for sure. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I guess at some point you feel like you have to show that. This was an interesting thing in the the Soderbergh Gilroy thing. Is like, you know, as a writer, that is a a motivation to to do the right thing. Once yeah. you see what the the result of what Harry's done, it's like, how can you just say, right. Oh, it's just a you know a small black market scheme that didn't have any victims. Yeah, yeah, victimless crime. So you know, not so. It, it, 
you know, this now he's once again he's yeah. he's finally going to do the right thing to do the right thing. He's going to turn yeah. on Harry because of what he did, not to get honor free. So, right. This seems like one of those films too that he bumbles his way to the end to finally do the right thing for the right reason. Right. And it takes <laughs> the whole movie to get the American to do the right thing for the right reason. <laughs> um, this seems like a film that that every time you see it, you probably pick up on just like twenty new things. Yeah, it's kind of like the Maltese. The Maltese Falcon it just is that keeps way to giving. Me. It's like I always, you know. Yeah, I love that. That's a mark of a great film. Uh, well, then we get to the final iconic uh, chase through the sewer, which um, really lives up to its billing. It's sort of it's confusing. It's disorienting. There's there's no orientation to it. Well, there's an interesting moment before that, like Holly, like Joseph Cotton Holly is like going to meet him in a cafe, mm-hmm. and a. Uh, and it's funny. Oh, the setup. It's funny yeah, because yeah. the police are everywhere in the shadows, and the drunk balloon guy comes around the corner right. and like sells a balloon to the guys who are hiding in the shadows. Right. So <laughs> there's tons of jokes in there, and then Anna shows up. Yeah. And I think at that point, that's when Orson Welles comes in the back door, and he overhears Anna saying, basically calling Holly, you know, say, "Are you happy that you're, you know, a stool pigeon now?" Right. Please. And he starts to tell Anna to get out of the way because he's going to shoot Holly. Oh right. Which I always thought I, d- I didn't really – I don't remember that from seeing it a long time ago, but it's like he's going to yeah. shoot him. Yeah, yeah. He was, wasn't he? Yeah. And that's the chase. And then they start chasing him. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he was going to fucking kill him. Yeah, He pulls he? that gun really fast. Wasn't he? Because he's like, Anna, get out of the way. He's like yeah. motioning for her to get out of the way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then they go drop into the sewers and um, like I said, it's just very disorienting. You can't – you don't know. And I guess that's the whole point. It's like – you sense their disorientation too. Like no one – it's not like they have a map down there. Everyone's everywhere. Yeah, and at that point you sort of – I mean Callahan, Callaway <laughs> knows that he's using the sewers. So they got cops everywhere. You, you know it's you know it's not going to end well for Harry at that point. There's that one great uh, shot where uh, where Harry is, is stuck in, in sort of the main channel and there are all the portals – and you just hear voices coming out of each one, <laughs> you know, a different accent, a different uh, language even. Uh-huh. And he's just surrounded by like, who knows, by everybody on all sides. Yeah. It's a really cool shot. Wasn't it weird that the people who – like the sewer police were white? You would think, you'd think you'd want a dark color if you were the sewer police. I but, guess they did. And they had uh, high boots too. Yeah. They only guys with boots. Well, that was a very Viennese, Viennese yeah. choice. And, and of course the, the dum-dum – is down there as like one of the pursuers. It's like, why didn't anyone just fucking like chain him to a post well, upstairs? And it's <laughs> arguable that he gets Payne killed. He's the one that runs down there, and it's it, Payne is the one running yeah. up. His, who's his biggest fan? The one guy who's the I one know. guy in Vienna who's read <laughs> his crummy westerns. <laughs> he comes running up to protect him. He's like, Mister Martin's, Mister Martin's, uh-huh. and because he's not protecting himself, That's Harry right. shoots him and kills him. Yeah, yeah. And then he he pursues. He's the lone pursuer in the end of Harry. Yeah, Callaway or Callahan sort of becomes like that. Is it Callaway or Callahan? Because it's a joke in the movie. You know, like like <laughs> Holly always calls him one, and you always like it's Callaway. He's like it's Callaway. I'm not Irish, right? <laughs> or something. That is the joke. No, I'm looking right here. It is. Uh, it's definitely Callaway, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, maybe. Yes, maybe. <laughs> I can't see it, but. It's like he's overcome by by Sergeant Payne's death and sort of just yeah it's Callaway he's totally out of it and in the meantime Joseph Cotton picks up the gun 
And at that point, you know, I think Harry's like trying to, he has his fingers through the sewer grate, but it's, he can't shot. get out. And, and he's been shot. I think Callaway actually shoots him too. Yeah. So he's been wounded. And uh, Well, he gives him that the nod basically, right? Yeah, it says, kill me. Yeah, I think he basically is telling Holly to, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Mercy, mercy, kill me. Yeah, it's such a great shot though of his fingers coming up through the grate and again, a wet, empty Venice. Not Venice, Vienna. It, it makes you wonder if they invented the wet down on this movie because there's a shot of them wetting down in the yeah. background. Did you see that? Yeah. Apparently, the fire trucks, like like apparently, Viennese were very uh, very helpful. Yeah, but I mean, it shows it in a shot. Yeah, it, I've always wondered if it was meant to be. Or yeah, me too. If they were... I saw that, I was like, wait a minute, they're wetting the street down <laughs> on film. <laughs> I've once again one of the things that that makes it such a wonderful film to watch, the, yeah. the black and white. And, and, of course, what you get with the wet down is the, any light is reflected in the yeah. streets. So, so good. Who, who won the Academy Award for this, the, the DP? Yeah. What was his name? Krasker. Gorgeous. Is this the only thing it won? I think it is. I think it's the only Academy Award that is. Yeah. Well, he won the Palme d'Or. Oh, no. Well, Carol Reed was nominated for Best Director mm-hmm. and uh, Film Editing. Oswald Hafenrichter. And he was nominated before for The Fallen Idol, too, Carol Reed. I mean, he was, I mean, Carol Reed is an amazing guy. It's it's a shame he, I don't know why he doesn't get more. I mean, he was considered like Hitchcock. Oh, really? You know, he was on that that level. And actually, later on, when the third time him and uh, Graham Greene got together was for Our Man in Havana. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I haven't seen that either. Alec Guinness, and he's he's essentially a a hustler living in Cuba. and the the intelligence agencies are looking to him for for help on what's going on, and he just makes up you know all these crazy things, and you know sends them like diagrams of vacuum cleaners, and tells them it's a <laughs> you know a new weapon they're working on. Wow! Which is really that that's an interesting one to talk about too, because I think Fidel Castro actually came to set. It was right after the revolution. Oh, Fidel wow. Castro actually came to the set when they were making that movie. Wow! Uh, that's crazy, nutty. But that was a movie that Hitchcock was interested in making, and, and Graham Greene was. I was apparently not a big fan of Hitchcock. Yeah, I saw that too. I thought Carol Reed was uh, yeah. bee's knees by comparison. He's the tits. Yeah, the, to- uh, the tots. All right, well, here we are at the end, Scotty, the last scene and last shot when uh, Calloway is driving uh, Carol, or uh, not Carol, uh, Holly to the airport. Well, they when they pass go, Anna. Well, when they go to the funeral, and the funeral's got another good joke in it because you see the priest like like rushing through the oh, that's right, rushing through the sermon, and she he scoops he, the dirt. He takes the scoop of dirt and kind of throws it down, <laughs> angry as if how many times do I have to bury this guy? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, but they pass Anna on the road, and it's uh, <laughs> such a perfect way to end this character. This guy bumbled through it all. Basically, he's like, "This should be the big love moment where he's like, drop me off. I'm not going to the airport.'" Yeah, he's gonna he's, he's gonna he's gonna wait for Anna. Who? It's his last shot with her. Yeah, and it's a really long shot too. It's, oh, it's, yeah. it's I mean three minutes long. Yeah, she walks down the road a long, long way. Ah, that beautiful center frame, walking down that tree lined street. Well, it's not tree lined. This is one of my favorite things. The trees are all dead. There's no leaves on them, but leaves are falling the entire time. So those are trees, though, right? I would give yeah, but oh, I would okay. give anything to see the wide shot of that because you know there are two ladders yeah. and like <laughs> a deck on top. I there, didn't notice the leaves. There are three PAs up there just there dropping leaves. leaves but yeah, <laughs> there are no leaves on the trees. <laughs> oh, interesting. Uh, but yeah, she comes. He just kind of very coolly. <laughs> this is such a way to end this character. Is he just parks it by this cart? I'm like it's like all right. I'm just going to wait for her yeah, she'll, to, she'll, to come up to me, yeah. <laughs> and she walks right by. 
Oh, dude, and doesn't even like never turns her head. I don't think nothing. Not even a <laughs> not even a sneeze his way. He's it's so, like he doesn't exist. He's so clueless too. I mean, it's, I know. And Calloway tries to tell him. He's like, "Give it a rest, old man." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's such a great ending. I mean, uh, for the time period, just so, very antithetical to anything you would expect. Yeah, it's a uh, well. It's, you know, it's, it's uh, once again, it's a it's a noir. So it's that that post. You know, that cynicism, if you think about the American public at this point, they have gone from, you know, propaganda and newsreels of the war to seeing, you know, sort of broken men coming home. They've seen a couple of – I think there are a couple at this point documentaries about what happened in the concentration camp. So people are – I mean, you know. Yeah. People, a lot of innocence has been lost. So, you right. know, I think I think an unhappy ending like this is. Yeah, I, I think it's part of how this movie was made to be, just the the tone of the movie is so interesting because it mm-hmm. is dark themes in a sense. There's murder, but it's always sort of happy and well. And you have this weird jaunty score. It's and, all very. It all subverts expectations. Like every time there's an expectation, something different happens. I feel like. Yeah, I mean, for a and I think Graham Greene is the one who wanted the the happy ending. He was the one that thought. Yeah, and Selznick, of course. Yeah, they thought that Holly should get the girl, and I think eventually Graham Greene later on, yeah, he did say that Carol Reed was right, and the, yeah. the downer ending. But he uh, didn't earn the girl. No, he was. A it would have been. Yeah, it would have been totally like bullshit, yeah. and it would have been movie bullshit if at the very end of him, her showing zero interest, him showing her nothing. Uh, to attract her to him for all of a sudden for her just to be like, Holly, it was you all along. <laughs> well, what's interesting too, I mean, is, is think about how cynical she is. Like she would rather just die than yeah. get away. You know, yeah. I mean. For sure. That's a, uh, I think one of the things I, one of the things I, I enjoyed about this movie from a writer's aspect is that, uh, Graham Greene has a quote where he talks about having like, – like he always – anytime he did a script, he wanted to work from something. He mm-hmm. he said he's basically trying to write from – write something in a script like it's such such a, sort of a naked shorthand. It was like he didn't find a way to put characters or atmosphere into it. So he actually – that's why he wrote the short story, right. The Third Man, and then based the script on the short story he wrote oh. with, with no intention of the short story ever being published. It wasn't but they did. Years later that, yeah. Gotcha. The, yeah, that makes Penguin sense. Book. Yeah, I mean, if he, I mean, he wrote other scripts, though, right? I mean, that was his deal. He sort of, like you said, wrote a bunch of different kinds of things. He was a, he was a big writer. Somebody was telling me that John Le Carre is sort of a, a modern. Who's he? Uh, you know, the spy novels, John Le Carre. Uh, sure, I think so. That he's sort of a, you know, the continuation of the the Graham Greene sort yeah. of uh, tone. I've never read any of his books. Graham Greens or Le Care? Le Care. Oh, okay. Because you've read a few Graham Greene, right? I think I've, re- I've read most of his. Yeah. yeah. I remember like 20 years ago, you talking about Graham Greene. And I was like, who? <laughs> They're little skinny books. I like them. <laughs> Are they short usually? Eh, you know, shortish. Yeah. You that's know. good. He's not right doing any war and pieces. Nah, if you can't. If you can't write a book in under 500 pages, then <laughs> I think you got too much to say. Sounds like you've got two ideas, not one idea. Yeah, you just like the sound of your own fingers diving. <laughs> uh, well, that was great, dude. What? What? Uh, where should we go next for our noir? I don't got know, any ideas, or you just want to bat it around off air? There's there's a lot of good ones. I mean, there's you know there's a good one that's going to be playing at the Midtown soon, Tokyo Twilight. That's good. Oh, really? Good Asian noir. Oh. All right. Well, maybe I would love to see this on the big screen, by the way. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's so. If you ever hear about it playing, let me know. Sure, sure would be nice off. if Midtown did that. Midtown here. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll talk about it off air. We'll come up with another good film noir. Hey, thanks for having me. This was fun. I, 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 we should watch this one together just to see what else. We yeah, can, we I can want pick to out. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll do it. So many things. We'll wait for Ruby to get a little bit older. Plus, there's you know, if you're an animal lover, she that's another great us. thing in this movie. There's <laughs> dogs. The cat? There's cats. I mean, it really there's that's a true. there's a bird. There's a rhino. There's a there, yes. There's it really has it all. The only thing it doesn't have is people on the street. <laughs> it doesn't. There's a Ferris wheel <laughs> with no one on it. <laughs> all right. Thanks, dude. All right. Movie Crush is produced, edited, and engineered by Ramsey Yunt here in our home studio at Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia, for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual.